Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, a podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, or maybe a friend just shared this episode with you and you are feeling a little wounded or skeptical of all things God-related right now, welcome. This podcast is just for you. Finding Something Real is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. My passion is Jesus Christ, and for me now, after having been through some real ups and downs on my own faith journey, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever. But don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, I am so glad you are listening to today's podcast episode. And in just a moment, we're going to dive in. But before we do, I wanted to give a brief intro to today's discussion. I just finished re-listening to this conversation, as I do every time I put together an episode, and I had a couple thoughts I wanted to share with you, the listener, before we get started. I'm going to be talking with today's guest about church dynamics and how we can be better about loving each other in the church, even when we disagree. We're going to be talking about what it means to be a Christian and how to deal with theological or social differences, even when we're talking identity or life and death issues. This is a thoughtful, meaty, nuanced conversation with a lot to unpack, um, hence the long length here. And I'm so grateful to today's guest, Pastor Michael Landsman, for sharing authentically from his own experience and knowledge He was very gracious with me, especially when I mispronounced his podcast title. (laughs) Um, At one point, Pastor Mike says, we don't have to break friendships or relationships over disagreements. For believers, he says, our obligation to love doesn't go away just because we disagree. And I didn't share much of this during the interview. In fact, I don't think I shared any of it really. But personally, I'm someone who's had a pretty diverse evangelical experience. As my youth pastor's son, Jason Schmidt, said on this podcast when he was on uh, last fall, it's Jesus plus nothing. I personally don't care what church someone goes to if the gospel of Christ is central, which is probably why I frequently ask guests to present the gospel (laughs) on this podcast. All that to say, friend, today's guest and I may have different views and experiences. There's probably things we disagree on. But there's a lot here that I value and appreciate. And I couldn't help but think, even while we were just recording this, that by us having this conversation, despite our differences, it was demonstrating hopefully the very thing we were talking about. So thank you, Pastor Mike, for sharing with me and with the listener. And to you, the listener, I hope you enjoy this. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, I'm excited that you're listening in for season five, where we're starting off each month with a different young woman sharing her faith story. 
and also giving her the space to ask some tough questions about God and faith. And so this month, our first episode introduced my friend, Kasten. Kasten and I had a raw discussion about how she came to Christian faith eight years ago after some significant trauma and pain in her life, how Christ has changed her life since then, and how now she still has questions she wants to talk about, questions in regards to faith and mental health, and how we treat people both inside and outside of the church. And so if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out that first episode with Kasten and hear her story. We'll put a link in the show notes, and you can find those at findingsomethingreal.com, along with other things like free resources and occasional blog posts, how you can get more involved with this program and ways to connect. All of that can be found over there at findingsomethingreal.com. And if you like this podcast, I would love to hear from you. So friend Kasten couldn't be here for this recording. She wanted to be, but she couldn't. So I'm excited for the guest we have here today, who's here specifically to address Kasten's concerns about why the church sometimes hurts its members over non-essential things. Um, during the discussion with Kasten, we talked briefly about the example of Beth Moore, And if you're not familiar, Beth Moore was a member of the Southern Baptist Convention, very well known in American evangelical circles. Um, I personally have done several Beth Moore studies. Some of my favorite Bible studies have had her name associated with them. Um, I would say, I'd go so far as to say that her name was synonymous in many evangelical Christian circles, uh, especially with women, um, with in-depth Bible study. And then when Donald Trump ran for office, Beth became vocal about, uh, quote unquote, political things. She was uh, derogatorily told to go home by another prominent evangelical preacher. Some of her theology shifted around women's roles in the church, and she left the Southern Baptist Convention and is currently participating in an Anglican church uh, where the views on peripheral issues is quite different than Southern Baptist. She's still a Christian. And yet there has been a lot of criticism for her outspokenness, her new doctrinal beliefs, etc. And those people aren't coming from outside the church so much. It appears to me and many people in the Christian uh, faith community to come from many of the women who flooded uh, to stadiums and droves to sing her praises just a few years ago. So that's just one example. And I just share that because that was part of the conversation that Kasten and I had. And if you haven't listened to that conversation, uh, that gives some context to what we're talking about a little bit. But frankly, Kasten and I talked in our conversation about some of the differing perspectives on topics such as abortion, LGBTQ advocacy, masking, Uh, We didn't go into all of that debate, but we talked about how those are very hot topics in our culture and within the church. Um, Politics and women's roles in the church are big topics, too. But Kasten asked some important questions related to all of this. How can love and disagreement be on display together? Are Christians more judgy than Jesus? And how do we stop treating people with disrespect and start loving as humans? And I am excited because here to talk through some of these hard questions today, especially in regards to Christians' love for fellow Christians when we disagree, is Pastor Michael Landsman. Pastor Mike is a pastor of Zionstone UCC in Northampton, Pennsylvania. He also works as a part-time associate chaplain for St. Luke's University Health Network. He grew up in a Christian home, the son of a minister in the Charismatic Renewal Movement, And after wrestling with his own season of questioning and searching, enrolled 
in seminary and has been in pastoral work ever since. He holds a Master of Divinity from Biblical Theo- I'm gonna watch this from Biblical <laughs> Theological <laughs> Seminary, now called Missio Seminary. Missio. Missio. And also is co-host of the Areopagus <laughs> podcast on Ancient Faith Radio. Pastor Mike, I'm so excited that you're here. Welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure, Janelle. Thank you for, for having me here. I was surprised and delighted to get the invitation from Tara. So thank <laughs> thank you to her and to you for uh, agreeing to have me on. No oh, pressure. No pressure. She talked very highly of you. She she oh, really... I, and I, I saw um, the invitation. I mean, she said it's one of her top podcasts that she listens to Ooh, that I can't even pronounce excellent. the name. Tell no, me okay. about it. Are we... Areopagus. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the yeah. Areopagus was born from um, the friendship I have with an Eastern Orthodox priest that you featured on your own podcast recently to talk about the gospel, yeah. uh, which was a fantastic episode. Um, he and I have been friends for a long time, and the genesis for the show came about when we were driving home from a monastery visit. Um, every every once in a while when I'm able, uh, I, I'm, I go with him to a monastery out in Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, St. Gregory of Palamas. And uh, on the way back, we were just talking, and a large portion of our friendship was formed. I was in seminary at the time. I, I, I attended Vespers at this church pretty solidly for about a year or more. Um, just every Saturday night going to Vespers and then we go have coffee afterwards and we just talk theology and, and, you know, invited me to his home and I met his wife and children and uh, we became friends. So the whole conceit of the podcast is, you know, two friends sitting around drinking coffee, talking theology um, and sort of, people are like listening in to conversations that we would just be having among the two of us. So it's, it's not, um, it's, we don't really use like academic language, academic jargon. It's just, if we do, we'll define it, but sometimes we have guests, sometimes we don't. Um, and it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, I listened to part of, uh, the one that tower sent me and you guys have a great, um, chemistry between the two of you it was really fun to oh, listen thank to you the thank, you. thank you for that uh, <laughs> hopefully it wasn't <laughs> hopefully it wasn't the one where i trashed all mega churches uh, <laughs> no i don't think okay. so <laughs> we'll get to that part later hashtag um, sorry not sorry <laughs> yeah well shout out to pastor andrew stephen damick who like you said has been on this podcast before i i greatly enjoyed having him here and learning about orthodox um tradition i he he taught me a lot of things that I didn't know. And I told him we'd have to have him back at some point because awesome. he opened my eyes. Um, Thank God. But you're yeah. not Orthodox. Tell me a little bit about your faith background. Sure. So uh, my dad was Jewish. Well, he still is, but he converted out of Judaism to Christianity uh, shortly after he got out of the military. And um, he became involved with um I think he had credentials in the Assembly of God for a little while, and then he became involved in, in uh, the Word of Faith movement, which is uh, kind of centered around this Tulsa, Oklahoma, and this this minister named Kenneth Hagan. Um, and now he just sort of in the Pentecostal world, um, and he, he would travel and minister, and he would develop essentially what would be cut, like what you know traditional churches would call catechetical material. Um, he would like teach classes about the basics of the faith, about uh, the Bible, um, uh, and then doing books of the Bible, things like that. And he would he packaged it together, and he would travel all over the country and the world, and he would develop it and sell it. And he's constantly refining it. 
Uh, and he's still doing that. He doesn't travel much anymore. He's, he's, he's mostly, well, he's semi-retired, uh, but he's now living in Florida and he just helped develop an online program for a Pentecostal, a large Pentecostal church out there in Tampa. So he's still plugging away at that. Mm. Um, so I went to th- those type of you know, Pentecostal churches uh, most of my life. And, um, and then after I graduated high school, they sent me over to Rainbow Bible Training Center uh, in Johannesburg, South Africa, which was connected with the Rainbow Bible Training Center in Tulsa, even though I don't think now they're affiliated anymore, uh, except maybe in name. Uh, and then from there, uh, just, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a you yeah, know, it's sort of, it's kind of like seminary, I guess. Um, it, a lot of it revolved around practical ministry. And uh, after that, I came back to the States. I worked for the megachurch for a while, worked for the pastor and his wife, and then got really jaded, uh, came back to the States, very angry, um, just kind of went through my own period of, of soul searching. Like, what do I believe this? Just floated around from different church to different church not really, not really connecting with anything anywhere. And all throughout all of this, a friend of mine, he kept saying, um, you know, you're, you're, you're too, you're, you're, and he said it, not me. He's like, you're too smart to not, you know, keep going with your education. Uh, so I'm like, well, maybe, maybe not. And he kept like encouraging me, like, just go to seminary, go to school, do something. So I wound up applying to a biblical theological seminary in Hatfield, uh, Pennsylvania, and then they accepted me. And so I moved up here and I was working for a church while I was in seminary and uh, I've been in pastoral ministry ever, ever since graduation. Now you weren't really sure if you believed uh, stuff. That's, I think that's what you said yeah. when you decided to go into mm-hmm. seminary, did you come to sure. the point where you decide you will believe Yeah. It? Yeah. But ho- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't go to seminary if you don't know what you believe. Um, <laughs> Seriously, like don't, um, because you're, you're going to get challenged. Uh, by that time, yeah, I had come back around to 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 owning my faith, and um, um, like this is something that that shapes my life. It's not just something that I say that I believe in, but it's it's um, yeah, it's something I take seriously, and <clears throat> excuse me, it's something I genuinely believe God has 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 called me to. So by the time I went there, I I had already been reestablished um in in that yeah 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 it's interesting uh that you said that about seminary so i've heard stories this is an aside but i've heard stories of people who go to seminary and lose their faith mm-hmm. because it's a study sure. of god instead of experiencing mm-hmm. him uh was that your experience or... no my experience was opposite right because the tradition i grew up in you know is, is word of faith pentecostalism so they had the same thing. Semin- semin- seminary is cemetery. It's like where your faith goes to die. And I found the opposite. It, it really found space to grow. Um, I learned I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And it was a real, it, it was a, a real blessing to me um, because it, 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 it sharpened you. And I also, you know, I also think that, that the choice of seminary also greatly aids or hinders spiritual development. Um, so I, I won't say any names, but I, I believe that there's certain seminaries. If you go to them, that yeah, you're 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 going to leave markedly changed uh, when you exit, and sometimes that's not for the better. Yeah, yeah, I I know somebody who I love personally who had an experience like yeah. that. Um, yeah, well, it sounds like uh, if you're looking, if you're listening to this and you're thinking of going to seminary, 
Uh, sounds like Missio Seminary might be a good place. Yeah, I think Missio is doing some really good work. Uh, they're they're they they have really embraced what they would you know, what's called missional theology, um, and they're putting it to practice by they they moved their campus from from after I graduated a few years later. They sold the building and then they moved their campus to Philadelphia to be closer to the urban center. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's the focus that they're trying to to do is is uh, urban urban ministry practical ministry contexts maybe in areas that might not be well served. So if you're interested in that in a seminary that that seeks to to ground you in a broadly evangelical tradition while still challenging you, uh, you it's it's I think it's a good choice. Hmm. Um. Well, there's a good endorsement there we go. right there, and they don't pay me anything um. for that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send exactly. them the bill after this. Uh, <laughs> so you mentioned that after growing up uh, kind of in the yes. Pentecostal word of faith movement, um, also going abroad and having that experience in South Africa, working for a mega church back here, you felt like maybe y- you were having a crisis of faith, it sounded like. Sure. Um, what do you think? caused some of that looking back i mean i'm sure yeah. you've had time to reflect on i some think of that. that part of it was i got to, when I, I when i was working at the mega church in south africa and going to school there at the same time and then getting the access as deep as i got because by the by the end of my time there i was you know spending i was starting the day at the pastor's house ending the day at his house you know and his wife's house so i got to see like behind the curtain and a lot of what I saw eventually just got to me, and, and and it's easy to when you're in it and you 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 bought into it. It's it's easy to say, "Wow, like look at all these wonderful things that we're doing for God," um, and then you just start to peel back a couple of layers here and there, and you're like, "Well, that that's not so good. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that shouldn't have happened, or that looks a little bit dodgy over there. Uh, maybe we should not do that." So you you kind of when you get access like that, it kind of helps you see the, the, the shortcomings, I guess, of, of systems like that. And it just sort of left a really bad taste in my mouth when I left. And, um, and I, and also I, I don't, and this is not a, uh, it's just not meant to be a dig at anyone, but um, I, 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 word of faith theology itself is not, it's not very deep. Um, It's not very deep Mm -hmm. at all. And it's, hyper focused on materialism um, as well as um, things that they believe that the atonement guarantees, like literally guarantees Christians, you know, perfect health and healing and, and things like that. I mean, and they have their apologetics for, for, you know, you know, if, if it's God's will to heal every Christian, why, why isn't every Christian healed? Um, so, I mean, they, they've had that. And, and I, I think that the, in, it's sort of, it's popularity I think really peaked in the eighties but that theology sort of got mixed in with Pentecostalism. And now we sort of see it reproduced maybe on a less extreme scale. Uh, it may be more charismatic minded, minded churches, which to kind of bring it back to your point of Beth Moore and the Trump election, um, you know, you saw a real rise in, in the very fringe of, of charismatic and Pentecostal churches sort of rising to the fore and being given a platform uh, by the then president. Um, and, and I, and, you know, this is 
Now, this is just an aside to rabbit trail we don't have to go on. A lot of the, the flack that I think is directed at evangelicals right now is not appropriately directed. I think a lot of the flack should be <laughs> going in that direction to these Pentecostal charismatic churches that were very extreme in their, their dominion theology and, 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 and stuff like that. And these prophecies and the anointed one and all that stuff. Um, I think most of the ire should be directed that way and not so much towards evangelicalism proper. If Well, if we could even define evangelicalism, but yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's definitely yeah. been an interesting yeah. thing to see the tide of, even calling people evangelical right. suddenly become like a dirty word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how would you define evangelicalism? Yeah. Uh, there's a, I think he's a British scholar named David Bebbington. He, he developed something I think called the, the Bebbington, Bebbington quadrilateral. And um, I can't remember everything off the top of my head. I think it's crucicentrism, activism, uh, conversion, and biblicism. And these evangelical churches tend to, to focus on those those four things. So it was focusing on Jesus, right. just to simplify yeah. it, right? Focusing on sharing yeah. Jesus, yeah. focusing on the Bible, yeah. and focusing activism. on there was yeah. activism. Yeah, and, and that's sort of become the de facto defining, um, the defining term or the defining I don't know, elements of what evangelicalism is, generally speaking. But I mean, even then, you know, you can push that and, and say, well, maybe because evangelical was the word that was initially given to the reformers uh, back during the Protestant Reformation. They weren't, they were known as evangelicals, not, you know, necessary Lutherans or whatever. Okay. So would you still be considered evangelical? Because I don't know yeah. the faith tradition now. What is Sure. That? Well, the, I'm, I'm, the denomination that I'm a part of is they they have roots in just about every single reformation tradition uh from from europe that came over to america so uh, the specific church that i serve is what was called a, a union church and that was when a reformed congregation and a lutheran congregation met together and they shared the same building and essentially would have different pastors um, and then they they would function that way for a while and then the Lutheran Church eventually moved off, um, and actually, only a couple miles down the road, and they're still they're still there. And and uh, they they joined. Well, the denomination that those Lutherans were part of became the ELCA, and then the denomination that my church was was called um, the Evangelical and Reformed Church. And then the Evangelical Reformed Church merged with another one, and then I think in 1957, that's where the the denomination, the United Church of Christ, was born. And then that's the denomination that I'm now ordained with, which is interesting. So, so you have the evangelical DNA and part of it, but then, then too, right. The, the, the UCC along with um, the ELCA and some other mainline denominations have gone to be like super progressive. Um, but there are outliers like me in the denomination that are, are, I guess I would say more theologically, uh, and politically more on the conservative side of things. Okay. So what do you see are the biggest differences between how your expression of faith now versus what you're sure. Um, the, I guess enthusiasm, if we can use that term is a little, is, isn't as high. And I don't mean enthusiasm in the sense of 
ownership of the faith and, 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 you know, wanting to be a part of the faith, but enthusiasm in maybe the charismatic sense of it, like, Oh, you know, the rush that you get when, you know, when you, when you, you know, when you feel the spirit kind of, you know, in the, in the meeting, you know, that's not really a thing. Um, and well, in my particular, my particular uh, parish, it's not, um, I can't speak for, for the others, but it's the, the worship here is more traditional. So, you know, the, the picture that I sent to you, you know, I, I wear a preaching gown and a stole, you know, when, when, when we minister, we don't have, um, we don't have any technology in the sense of, um, like we, we live stream the services uh, because of COVID, but we're also in person now, but uh, we don't have screens. Uh, we don't have bands, um, anything like that. And we have hymnals and printed pieces of paper and, um, yeah, you know, when you, if you come to worship with us, uh, the people are, are very friendly, and um, all of them will come up to you and say, "Hey," at some point, and one of them might even ask you to come next week and <laughs> read a passage of scripture or something like that. Um, but it's it's more on the traditional side um, of, of kind of the way that that a lot of churches have kind of moved away from. Like this church is still very much that's how they like it, and I've moved away from. The more contemporary to something a little less contemporary, I guess we could say. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you miss uh, the contemporary or the enthusiasm enthusiasm from your past? Not life? really. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I do, and then I'll go visit a service, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm glad." Like this, like look, this is fine for for. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It, <laughs> right, but it's not. I just, I don't see much, I, I don't see much usage in it anymore uh, because I think a lot of it seems to be driven by uh, pragmatism uh, rather than interaction with, um, with scripture and, and how God has laid out in scripture to be worshiped and um, the tradition of the church. Um that's a big that's a that's a big topic of conversation. <laughs> I know. I feel like I got into a rabbit hole here. Like I don't even um, know the I don't even know the songs anymore. Like I know hill songs up to like a certain point, and then after that point, I have no idea what they're putting out now, or Bethel, or or any of these. Like I don't know. So in a good so in one sense, it's good. I don't know a lot of this modern a lot of modern worship songs. Yeah. Do you feel like your beliefs have changed? Uh, oh sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I find myself, um, while being very sympathetic with uh, Pentecostals and Charismatics, that um, I, I just don't quite see their theology as being something that, God, I hope my parents never listen to this, is something that, because it can, I just, for, for I should say for me, uh, I don't see Pentecostal and Charismatic theology as being able to sustain a healthy, whole Christian life at least in the expression of, of Pentecostalism that I was a part of, uh, which was very much focused on signs and wonders and feeling God in the building tonight and um, very long services. And um, I, I think that, I don't think that that's necessarily, I don't think that that's good. And I don't think that's necessarily healthy because you can't, you, you can't build your faith. You can't grow into a mature faith. If your answer for all of your problems is I got to get to church next Sunday or up into the line on the altar call and get hands laid on me, right? Or, or something like that. It's it, it can be helpful, right? It could even be something that might mentally like help strengthen you, but I don't think it will actually 
help you grapple with the difficult things of life, like seasons of life, death and suffering. And there's no theology of suffering in the circles that I grew up in. Um, and and I, I would say now, I think that that's been a bit more developed in me as well. And I've also, excuse me, I've come to embrace and I'm, I'm kind of still walking this through. So I don't think I'm, I'm my, my Christian uh, journey is, is complete, but I'm more and more see, thinking that um, the more sacramental expression of Christianity that that's less concerned with um, celebrity that's less concerned with um, the way modern churches have, have chosen to do music um, and then modern church growth methods that, that like seek to just get butts in the seat, just kind of cycle them. Um, something that's, that's historically rooted, that's more sacramental, um, sort of like, you know, what, what happened, you know, with like you were talking about Beth Moore moving into the, the Anglican church. Um, you know, they, they have a, you know, the English church, you know, predates the, the English Reformation, uh, St. Augustine of Canterbury. So they have, you know, been part of the, of, you know, the Western Catholic church for so long. Um, so there's, there's stability there. There's tradition there. There's, you know, confessions and things there. And I think for evangelicalism to survive and to be able to thrive and to provide answers, I think the less they get away from the revivalistic aspect of it, which has become which has become the, the basic driving force of evangelical worship moving towards and maybe being incorporated into more historically uh, traditional sacramental expressions of the Christian faith. It's hmm. an interesting, yeah. interesting yeah. perspective. Yeah, Thank sure. Thank you for yeah, sharing no problem. all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously you have a different, you've gone a different path right. than maybe your parents expected right. you to. They're just glad that I'm serving um, God and in the ministry. So they're like, right on, son. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, that's great. So um, I was going to ask, what has your experience been with church people hurting church people mm. over non-essential issues? Has that been yeah. something that you've experienced? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like concrete examples of of essential issues versus not essential issues, and then people being hurt because of it. We were well. Let's back okay. up. No, go I'm ahead. Sorry. Um, let me back up just sure. a little bit, and let me ask you: define essential versus non-essential. Because I, when I went to um, a non-denominational community mm-hmm. church in college, one of the things I loved about it is right above the door. There was this quote, I'm sure you know where it's from, um, in, I think, in Essentials, Unity, and Non-Essentials, Liberty, and All Things Charity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's attributed to uh, St. Augustine, um, but he didn't actually say it. Um, From what I was able, (laughs) when I was able to, to, and I know the Moravian Church, actually, they use that, and um, it's it's really, I love what it's trying to say. I really do, but I, ultimately, I'm not sure how how helpful it actually is, um, because I think even the question itself of what is essential versus what is non-essential, I, I hate to use this word, right? I, I think even that question itself might be problematic in a sense, because it seems to owe more to the product as a product of the the revivalist impulse 
that's the primary American religious expression as filtered through uh, Puritanism. Because essentially, like the bedrock of, of American Christianity is essentially Calvinistic Puritanism. Like that's that's the big stream that that made it here basically first and set up everything first, um, and then the Church of England followed and the Roman Catholic Church followed. But this idea of what's the and I, I don't want to say this in a wrong way. Um, what's the minimum that I have to ascribe to to be considered a Christian in good stead? Or maybe maybe to be uh, more charitable, right? And I, I think this is more functional, not not necessarily like a conscious thing. Like, what do I have to believe to be able to fellowship with uh, my brother or sister at a Baptist church if I'm a Methodist, or you know, with my friend who who's an Anglican priest? Like, ha, what's the like what what's the minimum I have to believe maybe to take communion, you know, at my friend's Lutheran church or something like that? So what's the what's sort of the the so it, it can become a sort of, of minimization of actually the robust theology uh, that's lived out in in the life of the Christian. If that makes if that makes sense, um, mm-hmm. it's a really it's a really I, I I hope I hope we can find some answers right, not just meander around a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, what do you what do you think about that? I mean, I think it's um, a big answer for that question. I, I, I guess um, I think of when in scripture, and you're going to know more of where I'm pointing to when I think about this, but like where it talks about expel the immoral brother among sure. you. Um, I think of that because I think, well, there's people who determine something to be immoral differently right. than another expression yeah. of faith. Um, and so people can point to those scripture verses. I think it was the apostle Paul who said, yeah. That, right? So in, talked about in that. first Corinthians chapter five, um, he takes the Corinthians to task because there's a young man in the church who is committing sexual immorality with his mother-in-law and there, the church is just sort of tolerating it or just overlooking it. And so Paul basically says like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you can't just let stuff like this go. Like he's like, you need to remove him. And then he says um, that you need to deliver him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So his, his spirit may be saved. Now that sounds like a really hard, it is harsh, but it sounds harsher maybe than what we've made it. Um, I don't, I don't think St. Paul is saying here, like you have to kick him out so he can die. So his spirit will go to heaven. So Satan won't get him. Um, What's, I think what's happening there in that text specifically is he's saying the expulsion from the Christian community should lead this person to repentance in that he will start to, um, he'll start to, to Pauline word is to put to death uh, or maybe to, to maybe the words of, of um, another reform guys, the mortification, right? That putting to death the flesh, right? The, the, or fallen natures that, that are still in a kind of a rebellion against God, like put to death what is sinful within you. I think the, the, he said, the Hebrews says, you know, pursue holiness without which you cannot, you cannot see the Lord. Um, because St. Paul is dealing with, so for the, ch- the church is not just a random association of people who think Jesus is great. And so we can just get together. We all like Jesus. And then we can just kind of do our own thing. 
the church is the continuation of the assembly that you see in the Old Testament in the scriptures, right? So with the assembly of Israel, the Kahal, right? You'll see that you know, with Moses gathered the people together. It's essentially God's called out people who, who assemble together around like so it's set up by, by the tabernacle so you have like the tabernacle dwells in the middle of the camp where god's presence dwells and then the people sort of all live around it and so it symbolizes god's presence and among his people and so the church is a continuation of that in development of that in the sense that god's presence is no longer in a temple or in a in a or doesn't just come and overshadow a temple or overshadow a tent that's portable but God's spirit actually comes and lives and dwells in you. So if holiness mattered that much in the Old Testament, then that holiness needs to matter even more in the New Testament because God does, you know, God doesn't live in buildings made of stone. He lives, you know, he, he lives in the transformed, you know, human person. Um, and so when the, when St. Paul is talking about things like sexual immorality. He's just not making up like a list off of the top of his head. Like, okay, you can, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You know, all that, like, you know, what, what uh, Driscoll did, you know, with his you know, real marriage series or whatever, like, or the, uh, there's this mega church pastor put like a bed and he and his wife got onto it and like the roof of their church and like answered questions. Like, that's not what, that's not what's in Paul's mind. Like, this is too far. This is too far, but this is okay. You can do this, 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 and this. He's, he's working off of um, what's, what's in the scriptures. Right. And so for, for him, the scriptures about what governs sexual immorality is going to be what he, he, he sees in, in, in particularly like in Leviticus. Um, and so you see that then cited in Acts 15, in the Jerusalem Council, when James gets up and says, okay, Gentiles don't have to become Jews, but they can't eat food mixed with blood. Um, they got to stay away from sexual immorality and they can't, you know, eat food sacrificed to idols. He's not, he's not saying like the sexual immorality is like a fluctuating thing. He has in his mind, this, he, this is what sexual immorality is for, for them. And that's what it is for Paul. And he's doing this in a culture that's so, sexually expressive i guess we could say that there's no there's no real restraining influence um on that right and so we see even in the old testament that that sort of unrestrained um, sexual expression that was often bound together with the worship of pagan idols is something that's you know still tripping up people in the corinthian context as well so it's it's he's not just saying i don't like what this one guy did you got to get rid of him it's like yeah he's like God dwells among you and in you. And by letting this guy go on, like you're, you're essentially like falling into the sin that they did. And he, he, he makes that, that he uses that imagery uh, about these things happened to them as an example for us. Hmm. I want to ask you a really hard question. (laughs) (laughs) It would be fair. Fair Uh, (laughs) Maybe I will. Um, so let's give a practical example. It's 2022. You have a, a disagreement between two members of your congregation. Sure. One of them, they both profess to be Christians. They both come to your church. One of them is in an active homosexual lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And the other one says, look at the scriptures, look at Leviticus, look right. at what the Bible says. How do you deal with something like that yeah. um, and, and promote 
unity, but also hold to what scripture says? Yeah, that's a really, really good question and a really hard one, uh, given my my denominational context, because generally speaking in this denomination, that's not seen as an issue at all. Um, It's like, no, that that shouldn't even be a thing. Um, So working that out and living that out locally is is that's where I think a good pastoral not pastoral heart. I'm trying to think of the right words here. So what I would want to do is I would want to not get up and preach about specific sins or things that I think are sinful, because then what happens is it just, it's just me harping on uh, just harping on, on sins that maybe I don't like, or that are making me angry or something like that, or something I saw that, 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 that pissed me off. Um, like I, I watched Disney Junior and you know Gonzo's now gender fluid wearing a dress or something. I'm going to preach against that on the pulpit, right? That doesn't do anybody any good. It just makes me sound like I'm angry. And there's this very real sense where um, people need to know that God loves them, um, and people need to know that 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 God does accept them. But they also need to know that the Christian life is one of transformation. Right. It's, it's one, it's one where God calls us to holiness. And so what I'm going to do is dealing with that con- is stuff with issues like that is I'm going to preach the transformative power of the gospel and I'm going to preach forgiveness of sins. I'm going to preach Christ died for you. Christ calls us to live in a certain way as Christians. And that way is going to look very different uh, from the way it looks in the world. And I would call and get his people to, to repentance and trust that the Holy Spirit is doing the work that he's, that Jesus said that he would do. Um, and so because of, so there's a, there's a whole bunch of, of different, um, of, of not issues, but because something like that is so accepted nowadays in society, it's sort of seen as having a disagreeing with it is a, sort of a thing of, well, you're backwards and full of hate and, and stuff like that. Um, so what I would do is I would just magnify the goodness of God, the love of God, and then the very real call to Christian discipleship. And to say, Christ calls us to live holy lives. And the way we live holy lives is, is, is not just with how we control ourselves sexually, but it's also, what, what do we do with our money? What are we spending our money on? Uh, are we buying the latest the latest technological device or are we taking some of that money and giving it to our, our brother or sister in the church that that has no money to pay their rent that month or to pay the electric bill uh, of, of somebody else like that or um, this person outside the church needs um, diapers and they're not a member of our church but they just showed up at the door and they need diapers so oh yes here come here so Christ calls us to live a certain way and I think the issue is is when we import uh, either modern progressive or even modern conservative notions uh, onto that. And we want to remake Jesus sort of in the image that we want him to be in, both on the left and on the right. You know, the left wants Jesus to be this sort of spiritual guru hippie where you don't actually need to even affirm his deity. It's just sort of this generalized ethic that you can follow. So you might have a, your life will be nicer and you'll be a nicer kind of person or something like that, which is good. It's nice to be a kind, nice person. But on the flip side, you know, you have uh, maybe on the, the more conservative side, 
and maybe on even the more fundamentalist side, uh, it's the, the fire and brimstone. Um, Jesus is coming and, you know, he's, uh, and, and hell's coming with him, right? There's that Clint Eastwood movie. You tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me. Clint Eastwood, oh man. But um, <laughs> so in some sense, Jesus is going to be judgy because in the creeds, we confess that, right? Like he will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. So his kingdom will have no end. So there, there is a sense where Jesus is, he will, there's a prayer, I think in the book of common prayer that says, you know, you, uh, you will return to be our judge. Um, a redeemer people, I think brought with the price of your own precious blood, right? So Christ is forming his people. And for, for the call to discipleship for all of us, it's going to look a little bit different. Um, but we all need to understand that he's going to call us to live in a way that's going to annoy us, that's going to challenge us, and is going to call us to give up things that we may think make up our identity. And I think that that includes um, sexuality as well. Um, and that's and that's a tough one because when you make things markers of who you are, then being asked to give those up and sacrifice that for Christ is very difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So getting back to that essential sure. qu question uh, that you didn't like very much. <laughs> um, what, what would you say are the, the bedrock beliefs of a believer, sure. of somebody who's given their life to Christ? Sure. I, I to be put on the stand, no, I, I, I think that if you can't confess the Nicene and Apostles' Creed, uh, then, you know, then maybe you're not a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you can't affirm the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, then you might want to rethink your, your faith commitments, honestly. And for somebody who is listening from maybe a sure. mainstream evangelical tradition who's never recited the, I mean... I don't think I ever sure. recited it until I was in Lutheran school in yeah. sixth grade. Would you mind sharing what that? Yeah. Is? So the Apostles' Creed is a baptismal creed that was used, um, and now it's sort of one of the most basic, fundamental Christian creeds, um, which affirms, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who Jesus is, what He did, born of the Virgin, died for our salvation, um, descended into into Hades. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. Um, and then you have the Nicene Creed, which is uh, a more fuller expression of the truths that we find in the Apostles' Creed, uh, because uh, most of the Christian creeds of the church are Christological in nature, having to do with the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ. How does that work? What does that look like? Uh, coming against um, people like the Arians who believe that Christ was he wasn't divine, but he was almost as divine as you could get while still being a created. So he's still created. He's not God, but he's above humans. He's above angels. He's just at the level of God, but he's not quite God because um, the, the Arians would say, you know, there's a time where the sun was not. Or um, Sibelians, which would say that, you know, God is the Trinity is uh, three different modes uh, of, of, of existence. Uh, the heresy of Sibelianism or modalism. Um, which which you actually will find that in certain Pentecostal groups called uh, Pentecostal oneness, uh, where they'll say, well, you only baptize in the name of Jesus only uh, instead of the name of the Trinity. Um, 
so they're, they're, I think the, the ancient creeds can be very helpful um, in that sense. Most, I think, especially the Nicene um, and, the, and the apostles. I, I think if you, if you can't confess those in good faith, then I, stick with it, right? It, sometimes you just, need to, you just need to stick with it. You don't have to have mental certitude, right, about the truths of, of the creed. But if you've been worshiping for years and years and years and years and years and years and you can't confess basic truths that, that Jesus Christ is God from God, light from light, begotten, not made of one being with the Father through whom all things were made, who for us and our salvation came down from heaven and caught of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, right? If we, if we can't hold on to that stuff, um, then I don't know. I, I think that that's, a good, that that's a good starting place for what the essentials yeah. are. Did you, do you know who Christopher so, Hitchens was? Yes. Why do I know that name? Is he the famous atheist? Yeah. Uh, is that who? Yeah, is? he was yeah. a journalist, and he was a very. Uh, he's a journalist. I still enjoy reading him from time to time, even though he's so he's so anti-Christian. Um, and he he wrote some horrible things, specifically about like Mother Teresa, but he had a very sharp wit and a very penetrating mind. And I remember. I, I was listening to an interview that a Unitarian minister was had with him because he'd just written a book. And was this unbelievable with Justin Brierley? No, I don't think Do so. Know? No, this was, okay. uh, I think it was, I think I watched him on. That. Yeah. He probably went on. Justin has such a great range of guests. I love, I love Justin Brierley. His, his work has been awesome. He's awesome. Anyway. He is awesome. His, he, he had, uh, <laughs> Uh, the historian Tom Holland, and then I can't remember who the other guest was, and they were arguing about Christianity and the burning of books. I, I love that. That was a great episode. But Hitchens was being interviewed by this Unitarian minister, and the Unitarians, it's kind of hard to pin down what they believe about anything because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. We're all on the same road going to the same place. That That's the kind of outlook. And so she's like, I read your book. And I agree with you. This was fantastic. Uh, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in in this or that, of this, some of this Jesus stuff. And Hitchens, to his credit, he was like, well, it is, he's like, well, you're, you're not a Christian then. And she's like, no, no, I am a Christian, but Jesus didn't rise from the dead. He just said some really nice things. And Hitchens was like, no, in, 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 you're not a Christian in any sense of the word, because to be a Christian means that you hold to, to, to some of these things. And if you don't hold to those, you can't call yourself a Christian in any reasonable sense of, of the term. And that stuck with me. Like if, if an atheist like Hitchens can get it, then maybe we, maybe should. we should too, right? <laughs> and ultimately, at the end of the day, you can sit there and say, I identify as a Christian, but I don't believe in the Jesus stuff. Or I saw something on Twitter. I don't know if it was real. It was, I'm a, I'm a vegan, a vegetarian, but I still eat meat and get over it. I like ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't, doesn't matter what you identify as if what you identify as doesn't reflect the reality of your life. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny you brought that up because I think that while you were mentioning that story, I've heard it before. And I think that journalist is very famous uh, in Portland. Am I Am I correct? I think Josh White from Portland talked about. Anyway, I've heard it before, and you're absolutely right. And it's such a great example yeah. Now, because yeah, there's actually a, a lot of people in America, especially right now, who call themselves Christians and cannot sure. affirm that creed at all. Right. And yeah. and and I'm not saying that if you if you were a Christian and you don't believe in Christianity anymore, 
but you still like Jesus and there's still something about Jesus that, that really grabs you and you're certain and you still want to, and you still want to, you're still searching. You're still like feeling all this out. I'm not saying that you have to, as soon as you come into the church, you have to be able to confess all of these things with absolute certitude. Like there is plenty of room in our faith for people who doubt, you know, like we, one of the apostles, they even call him doubting Thomas, you know, even though, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, he falls down, he still gets the vision of Jesus. And he falls down his feet and he calls him, you know, my Lord and my God, even he says, I'm not going to believe unless I see this. And God answers that. Right. So there's room in Christianity. There's a lot of room for searching. There's a lot of room for trying to, to figure this out. But one of the things that we, I think we need to keep in mind is we need to keep in mind that, that Christianity is not an individualistic religion, that, that Christianity is, is, is a communal religion. Uh, something that the Orthodox say that I really love is no one is saved alone. Uh, we're saved. We're saved as 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 a group, as a community, as as the church. No one is like we all will be individually judged or whatever. And, and they don't. That doesn't mean that there's no place for the individual at all. But the focus isn't just on my own personal individual salvation. It's it's kind of the the group as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Just just find just like be careful like who you like be careful what you read be careful, be discerning with who you interact with. And then just don't go to any old internet site run by anybody who, you know, who, who may have grown up in a very shallow form of the faith, who's now storing it all behind because they had a bad experience somewhere. Like it's, it's, yeah. it, and not to denigrate those who actually have had horrible experiences and rightly left abusive and um, overbearing churches and, and ministries and ministers that were just, that were that were abusive in all the worst ways. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you a couple of sure. final questions here because I know we're running out of time, but I want to ask you uh, specifically. So let's say a couple of people come to you again uh, as a pastor and say, hey, uh, we're really wrestling with our relationship. Uh, one of us is pro-choice. One of us is pro-life. Um, yeah, I'm reading in the Bible and God is all about life. How could he possibly like, this is a major issue sure. for me. I can't be a sister with this person anymore. Yeah. The other person says I had to have an abortion, uh, whatever. Right. So it's a really hot topic. Um, how do we promote unity in that kind yeah. of situation when it's life or yeah. death? How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And a lot of that, what I get, it have to have to, a lot of these questions only really shake themselves out in the context of relationship. Um, mm. And somebody from my church who like, so for me, I'm very like, I've, I've, I'm an outlier in some ways where I'll, I, I will publicly say abortion is bad. Right. But I'll also at the same time say, so let's help this, this pregnancy center that offers life affirming care. So, we can send people or suggest people to go here instead of Planned Parenthood, send them to Bright Hope instead, uh, because that's what Jesus would want us to do. Um, if I'm if I'm tasked with, with kind of trying to help them walk that out, it's like, okay, well, first of all, if your point of fellowship is threatened to be broken by you being pro-choice and you being pro-life, then there's something deeper going on in your relationship that, that needs to be addressed. 
especially if it's like a married couple. If it's like a married couple and something that's about to break them up is they have a different point of view on on a woman's right to choose or or, or not then there's, there's something much deeper that's wrong than just this one issue. It's probably going to play itself out maybe and uh, maybe one's more controlling over the other. So you'd have to do some real, real work kind of digging to see maybe what might be driving this question um, from behind. And I think also in our culture too, right? Like in the left and on the right, and I can't stand this about the Christians on the left and Christians on the right, you know, both sides want to turn their people into activists, right? Like, you can't be part of us unless you hold this issue, and then you have to be loudly evangelistic about this issue. And we have to set you loose as activists, so join this protest. Uh, and then over here, like, yeah, or you you guys got to go and join the, the counter-protest. Like, I have no problem with protesting. I, I hope to be able one day to go to a, an anti-abortion rally or something like that. But you don't have the church is not the place where activists are formed and a lot of times i think churches on the left and on the right have this problem is we're training our people to be activists and i don't want our people to be trained for activists i want our people to be trained to be disciples of jesus i want them to 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 be able to discern for themselves um, and then make decisions for themselves because then that way we bypass all of the 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 tendency for some to, to resort to, to law, right? So don't do this, 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 and this. Well, no, like let's train our people to live Christianly and to think Christianly and then trust that they'll make the right decisions to, 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 to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of uh watchman knees book, sit, walk, stand. Did you ever it's been read a long that? time, man, but like an, before you can walk and, you know, do yeah. the activism type thing, just yeah. sit, sit, right. <laughs> rest in who God yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I, 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 so... I would say to the, that, that those people, I would say, listen, if you have that strong of a difference of opinion, then maybe you need to take a step back and look at your friendship. Um, or I would say, like, but what is it about this specific thing that, that, that you don't understand? Because oftentimes... There are, there are so many women who have struggled with, with holding on to that, you know, and then they say, I did this, they feel bad about it. And so they don't quite know what to do with it. And so on one side of the, the, the fence, people are like, you know, hashtag shout your abortions on Twitter. So let's see, yeah, it's something to be proud of, but they think that they're going to be rejected and they very well, way, very well may be rejected because they chose to have an abortion in the past. But then that means that the people who are against that need to be formed to be like, I'm sorry you went through that experience. That was a dreadful experience. And I'm sorry you made that choice because maybe you felt like you had no other option. I love you. God loves you. Like, <laughs> I'm going to walk with you through this. If this is something you're struggling with, maybe you're struggling with guilt or shame. I'm going to walk with you through this and I'm not going to judge you for what you've done. Right. Because if Christ offers us forgiveness for what we've done, right? If he, if he died for us to redeem us, then the least thing we can do is treat people we disagree with in the same way, with the same love. Uh, we don't have to break friendship or relationships I, over disagreements. And, and, and I have friends who have, who have, it looks like they've gone like the full progressive route. And, and I, I don't like that. But that doesn't mean that I can't see movies with them and, and talk to them about even God stuff anymore, even hang out with them. I can't. 
Um, it hurts my heart that, that that's where they've gone, but that doesn't mean I don't love them anymore. That doesn't mean that I don't care for them or pray for them anymore. Uh, it just means that I, I, my obligation to them to love them doesn't go away because they didn't go the direction that I thought was good for them. Yeah. What do you think it is about the church? I mean, I know it's human nature, right? To be like, to see something different and to like gather with people who think like us and uh, say the same things. And we want to just point out what we think is wrong. But like going back to the Beth Moore example, um, you know, she's been publicly humiliated by other Christians. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm really glad that she hasn't gone uh, like full on, you know, yeah deconstructed or whatever but um it wouldn't be surprising if she had based on some of the things yeah. that uh, have been flown her way by other believers how can christians do better pastor mike in this you just shared a couple of examples but especially in that people have these expectations of christian leaders right. and i i know you briefly talked about celebrity what that does but how can we love better um in the church yeah, that's a really good question. That's a really good question. So, I mean, the golden rules is usually a good starting place, you know. Um, that's that's generally a good place to start. Like, we we also have in mind that like we we have something we have a shape in our minds that we think other people should fit into. Or we figure out for them the, tra the, the trajectory that we think that they should take, um, and I think that that that's not that's not helpful. Like so, so say a church has a confessional statement, right? Like so, lots of more theologically you know, smaller Orthodox churches are going to have creeds and confessions that help um, that help guide the church, right? This is this is our stance on on these issues and. And, and, and a lot of times, some of these creeds and confessions are not new, you know, so the, the Reformed would have like the Westminster Confession and uh, some of the, the Baptist groups will have the, the Confession of 1689 and, and, and then there's a whole bunch of other ones. Uh, Lutherans have their own. And, and so what they do is they give, they give a trajectory or, or they give maybe a boundary, right, as to this is where we stand on these issues. That doesn't mean there's no room for questioning, um, but that means that we actually believe certain things about certain things. And if you're going to be part of this group, like we would invite you in with us to, to discern this with us. And we would hope that you would come to, to, to agree with these things too. The expectation that that has to be instantaneous, it, we have to get rid of that. Um, we have to get rid of the fact that maybe we, we can't control the pace of somebody's transformation. Only, only, only the Holy Spirit can do that. The only thing we can do is just walk with them, help them, be with them. And even if they leave, right, even if like this whole thing is bunk and they go, like you can still love them. You can still serve them. You can still reach out to them. Not even necessarily to, oh, I need to love you so, you know, you'll come back to church one day. No, how about you just love them because you loved them you know, when they were there and now they've left. Why don't you just love them to love them, right? And ultimately, Christ is going to judge us all, and He's the only one that can because He's the only one that knows that knows everything, right? So, like it, it, in some ways, like we have to exercise judgment, um, but 
we need to be very careful before we decide that somebody should be expelled from a community over disagreement. The, the, the movement towards that type of excommunication should always be done very slowly. It should be done with a lot of care for the person involved, and it should never be a reaction. It should always be a process that seeks to be fair um, and one that gives people opportunity to, to, to talk about what it is that they're thinking and, and, and doing and, and, and not using that process as a method of control. I don't know. I'm kind of all over the place with my answers. I think I hope I hope this is helpful at all. You know I, don't, I don't know. It was very helpful. I feel like I have a million more questions, but we're yeah. running out of time here. And um, I I think you might have to come back on the podcast sometime. Uh, yeah, that, that would be thinking. great. We'll have to have that. Would be I'd love that. Um, but one final question sure. for you: the Finding Something Real podcast. Uh, this is the final question I ask every guest. It's about a journey towards restoration eternity, authenticity, and love of those four gifts. And there are more, of course, but of those four gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, which of those stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? Real is an acronym, restoration, eternity, authenticity, love. Yeah. I'm sure everybody picks love, right? (laughs) It's all over the board. It's so funny. Yeah. You know, I, I, maybe I think love stands out for me because it's easy for me to focus on the negative. That's something that comes to be very naturally um, to see the bad, to talk about the bad. And so and sometimes to, to be, it, it, to be a jerk. And, and that's one thing that I'm, I think your podcast seeks to do is, is to help. And I, I, I hope that stuff that I said today isn't used to hurt anyone ultimately in the day. Cause I, I I pretend like I don't, but I'm a pastor, right? I have a tender heart, and but I'm also a jerk sometimes, and so I'm I'm always trying to to you know push that down. And I talk a little bit about that in the area, obviously, but I need to be challenged to love more, or or maybe to to exercise love because I have a tendency to want to put up walls. Um, and so for me, loving can even, you know, like even with, with, you know, spending time with my kids, like the other day I was exhausted. Like I, I, I came home from the overnight shift at the hospital because I do overnight on calls, generally speaking. So I had just been 8, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. I got home, I went to sleep, woke up, came downstairs, spent some time with my kids. Then a friend of mine I haven't talked to in a while is like, "Hey, Mike, let's let's like do a Zoom a Zoom cigar." I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And I was up way too late. And then the next day I woke up and I was dead. And I'm I'm downstairs with my kids and I'm just like this. And my son's like, "Daddy, Daddy, will you play Cowboys with me?" And I'm like, "I don't want to play Cowboys with you. I just want to lay here and not do anything. You can run around and play." And I was like, "You got to love your son, dude. Just because you made a bad decision." Not, well, not a bad decision, but just because you stayed up too late doesn't negate the fact that you need to show your son and your son and your daughter some love. So I was like, okay, let's go. So I got up, <laughs> took out, put put on his little cowboy hat, and I chased him around and pretended to rope him. And, and like, yeah, like, and that's a silly example, right? But there's there's ways where we can look to let 
in, in some ways that's reflective of the love of God and to look for ways and opportunities in my everyday life uh, to demonstrate God's love to, to others, even to those that, that might make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, yeah. Pastor Michael Lamsden. That's nah, okay. Don't me. worry about it. <laughs> thank you he so much. He must increase. Pastor I must Michael decrease. <laughs> <laughs> for being here on the podcast today. Thank you for answering some of these questions that Keston had and brought up. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm now very interested in going and listening to your podcast, and especially the episodes about um, the mega church. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I might I have to like go listen. Ago. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mars Hill. Yes. The Areopagus <laughs> goes back to Mars Hill. I think it was. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Well, I can't wait oh, to listen God. until next time. Thank you for listening to the finding something real podcast friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with Him. Until next time.